We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right, well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. As today, we're going to focus on four words that begin with the letter L. And I only give that to you because sometimes it makes it easier to remember. Um, the first word is the word learning. The second is the word living. The third is the word looking. And then the last L is the word leading. Because as we look through our text today, we're going to see God just sharing some things with us that I think are so important. Notice what we read here in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. As we go through this letter, um, we find ourselves pretty much right in the middle of Paul instructing Titus to tell the church that, you know, you're Christians. You're Christians now. And now as Christians, there's a certain expectation for the life that you live. You know, he talks to pastors and leaders and he talks to the older men, the older women, the young men, the young women. He even talked last week, uh, Rich shared about the, the bond servants, and that are, those are the people that are working, the employees, as you're out there in the workforce, and there you are at home. I mean, just all the areas of our life, this whole congregation here, if we're Christians, there are certain expectations for us as far as our living. You know, the reason is given there in the end of, if you go to verse 10, look what it says. It says, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You see, when we live the life that God wants us to live, uh, not perfect but proper, then what ends up happening is we adorn this doctrine. The word actually means to make beautiful, to make attractive. That Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, when we live the life that we're supposed to live, set apart, in love with Jesus Christ, and in love with people, then what ends up happening is people are going to see that and they're going to actually be drawn to Jesus. Because what we find is that if we have life, we should live the life. Others will see our life in Christ so beautiful and it will actually attract them. You know, Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Our life should be lived in such a way that people should say, I want 
what they have. You see? And that's what Titus is really trying to say. And it's here that he picks it up in verse 11 and he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And so it's our first letter, the word learning. And what we find is the grace of God that we have experienced as Christians is actually supposed to teach us how to live. The grace of God. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the grace is in Christ Jesus. It says right here, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Grace has come because Jesus has come. That's what he's saying right here. He has appeared. He has come. He died on the cross for all of our sins. He suffered the punishment that all we deserved. He paid the price that all of us owed. And so when we simply, sincerely, truly trust in Christ, then we experience this place of grace, this grand grace land that we live in, and what we find is that grace is that place where you know, we get the blessings of God even though we don't deserve them. You see, I deserve hell and everything that goes with it. But God has given me heaven and everything that goes with it. In God, I have all that's good. In God, I have a home in heaven. In God, I've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of from God the Father, the grace that's in God the Son, the grace that brings salvation. It's appeared to all men. It's available to all men. God wants all men to be saved. And what we find is that this grace, we see here in verse 11, it really is an amazing grace. And what we find here, and here's where we kind of kick it in, you guys, is this grace that we've experienced is supposed to teach us it's supposed to be our teacher. And a lot of times what happens is when you come to Christ or when you know, you've been a Christian for a while, you, know, you don't let it be your teacher anymore. And that's where we really mess up. I think you know, one of the most important things I've learned as a Christian over the years is that you've know, you got to be teachable. We must be teachable. When we lose that aspect of not being able to be taught, then we're going to miss out. I know I can learn from anyone, right? That's what we want. What we see here, right here is the grace teaches us. Notice again there in verse 11, for the grace of God that has brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us. You see, it teaches us. The word right here translated teaching, it means instructing. It, it even means training the grace of God found in our Lord Jesus Christ is intended to teach us, instruct us, and even to train us. It says right here, to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly lusts. And what we need to do is to see God's grace in our life as one of our teachers, you see? And as we see it that way, then we're going to be empowered. We're going to be able to live the life that God wants us to live. It, let's just say one day your 20-year-old son is driving and uh, text messaging, right, at the same time. You guys don't do that, right? Does anybody here do that? You can't lie. You're in church. Who here texts and drives at the same time? <laughs> you know, they say where there's texting, there's wrecking, right? And, and sure enough, there he is. He's texting and driving. He gets in 
an accident due to the fact that he's texting while driving. And so what do you do afterwards? You sit him down, you talk to him, he listens, he's remorseful. You get up after that conversation, you grab the keys to the car, you throw them to him and you say, I'm sure you've learned your lesson, haven't you? Because as we go through life and as we mess up, we learn the ramifications of our sin. And then at the same time, what we find is that God is the God of the second chance. You see, now what would happen then if that son got back into the car and he starts text messaging again? See, that's where we mess up. I think sometimes what ends up happening, well, you know, dad gave me the keys. I guess I'll go ahead and do it again. Ain't no thing but chicken wing or whatever, however you might want to see it, right? And God is saying, no, Manny, that's not why I give you grace. That grace is not so you can then have a license to sin and you say what to your wife? That tone of voice with her? Absolutely not. That grace is intended to teach you, to train you, to instruct you. You know, I mean, when the Lord called Peter, and you know, there was Peter, and who knows what type of guy he was. I would say more than likely he was a drunk, more than likely he was a guy with a sailor's mouth. More likely he was a guy who was rough around the edges who didn't really care a whole lot about people. And then Jesus Christ came into his life. And one day the Lord called him, although he was absolutely unworthy. The Lord chose him. The Lord caught the fish. He demonstrated his power to Peter. And when Peter saw who Jesus was, he said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, I know you are. That's not really what this is about. But I see the potential in you. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You know, and we've experienced this grace in our life, you guys. And this grace is intended to change us. It's intended to teach us. You know, this morning, I was uh, walking through the house and my wife was watching a, a Leave it to Beaver episode while she was getting ready. So she's, you know, taking care of business, but she's watching Leave it to Beaver. And um, have you guys seen the one where Leave it to Beaver is supposed to go to a father-son dinner uh, with his dad, obviously, right? Have you guys seen that one? We've seen all of them. You guys should see all of them. It's like you should read the whole Bible. You should see all of the Leave it to Beavers, okay? Because they all have lessons. Anyways, this one right here was one where um, they were going to go to a a dinner, father-son dinner, and Beaver was going to get a reward, an award uh, for something that he had done. And so it was a special occasion. And back in those days, uh, they required a suit and a tie for such occasions. But Beaver didn't want to wear a suit and a tie. Uh, he said, some of the guys aren't going to wear one, Dad. I, I don't want to wear one. And, and he resisted him. Uh, Dad tried to threaten him, saying, okay, we're not going to go. It didn't matter. didn't change his mind. And finally, what ended up happening is Dad gave in. And so Beaver went to the dinner, the father-son dinner, and he was dressed casually. He didn't have a, a suit and a tie. And when he got there, everybody else was dressed in a suit and a tie. He felt like, uh, like a fool. He goes and sits up in the table and he says, Dad, my, stomach, my stomach's hurting. Dad, I think I've got to go, right? <laughs> and so what ends up happening when you watch that, that story, and it's one of my favorites, is that Beaver goes out, he gets in the car, And when he gets in the car, dad opens up the trunk. And what does he do? He pulls out a jacket and a tie for his son. And he gives it to him. And he says, hey, let's go in there. And Beaver's tripping out. He's all, dad, I don't get it. You know, 
I figured you would clobber me. I like the word clobber. You would have clobbered me. And he said, no. And he gave him grace. They went back in. And Beaver learned a lesson. He learned a lesson. Take advantage of my dad. Right? <laughs> Rebel against my dad. Now what did he learn? Listen. Listen to my dad. And when we experience the grace of God in our life, I mean, Beaver did deserve to get clobbered. Right? We deserve to get clobbered. When we experience that grace, God's just saying, I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Your life should change. Your thoughts should change. Your words should change. Your heart should change. You're Christians now. You've been given heaven. You've been given the goodness of God. There's a promise for you that says, if God is for you, who can be against you? There's a promise that says that all things work together for good for you. God has blessed you. Now he's just saying as Christians, how are you going to respond to that? I tell you what, I, I want to change. I want to be a man of God. I want to honor him. I want to bless my family. You see, and that's what he's talking about. Verse 11, the grace of God that, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, there's the learning part, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. You see, there's a learning so that there might be a certain living. You know, denying essentially means to say no. Say no, please, I beg you, say no to anything and everything that would be against the will of God for your life because he loves you so much. You say no, you deny the things in this world, the lusts of the flesh. You know, I like to tell people to, to know themselves. You know, and someone might hear that, Oh, I, I got to get to know myself. K-N-O-W. You know, I got to know myself. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about saying no to yourself, man. N-O, no. <laughs> no, Manny. No, we got to do that. We have to learn to deny ourselves. And here comes that pretty girl with all the curves and hardly any clothes. You hear the high heels. You might even smell the perfume. And as men, the animal instincts, they kick in. The lust of the flesh tell you to look. You've got to check her out. But by God's grace and in his wisdom, you say no to yourself. I can't look. I can't feast on her because I know that's not God's will for my life. And you deny yourself. You say no because God's grace has taught you that, right? Or there, there you are. Maybe you're the girl. And you go to buy those clothes. And the magazines and fashion of the day, they tell you, yeah, you can buy that top even though it's see-through or low-cut or too tight. And you know what? Some girls like to get those things because they want guys and sometimes even girls to look at them and notice them. And they say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm free, but by God's grace, she thinks twice. She prays and then she says no to herself. She denies herself. You see, and all the things that are drawing you away from God. You know, there you are and you're you know, serving the Lord now. But here comes a guy, he's not even a Christian. He's not a Christian. What are you doing with him? He's not going to lead you to the Lord. He will not love you the way that God will love you. God wants to bring, bless you with a, with a husband or a wife that is a Christian. Because they will love you with God's love. And even though you're lonely and even though you want to, 
you learn to say no to yourself and you learn to say yes to God. And then God is honored. You know, there's so many areas of temptation like drinking or drugs or sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. And there you are and you want that thing so bad and according to the world, it's the latest and greatest and even though you can't afford it, you want it, you want it, you want it, but you've got to say no to yourself and you learn to be a good steward. See, this is what God teaches us. You've got to say no to yourself, and you say yes to God. It's a real simple thing. The Bible talks about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, 16 and 17, cease to do evil, live to do good. See, that's the way it works. You know, we got to say no. I, I don't know about you, but uh, if you have kids, more than likely you know that that's probably the word that you use the most with them, huh, is no. <laughs> no, sorry. But dad, I want to... I want a chocolate chip cookie for breakfast. No, can't have that, right? And you learn to say no to them. Same thing happens with us in dealing with ourselves. You see, God's grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should then live this way. Look again there in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. When do we live this way? When we get to heaven, right? When do we live this way? When I turn 70, right? <laughs> when do we live this way? Right here, right now. In this present age. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when I go to the monastery or the mountain or the retreat. Not when I'm at church, just now in this present age. Yeah, but I can't do it, man. I'm a young person. I'm living amidst so, so much temptation. And God says, yes, you can. What about Daniel in Babylon? He was a man of integrity, a young man of integrity, 12 years old, 13 years old, a young guy sold out to the Lord. How about, you know, Joseph in Egypt? See, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't, I didn't have sex until I got married. And this wasn't me, I tell you that, it wasn't me. 100% of the glory goes to God. God did it, but you've got to let him do that. You have to choose the Lord. The grace of God, it, it teaches me that when he came in and he set me free and he changed my life and he wrote my name in that book, I learned I've got to live for the Lord. And that's all Titus is saying. You've got to live for the Lord. You guys, you know, you go and you get a job. And you support your girlfriend or your wife or whoever it is. You learn to be a man. We start doing things God's way. Man, it's so important that we have this in our heart. You know, when am I to do it? I'm to do it now. In this present age. Whereas we said Christians live in the present age, but they do not live like it, neither do they live for it. You know, we got to live, it says right here, there's three words, soberly. And you're going to find that word frequently throughout the book of Titus. And, you know, it, it's a real important word. It speaks about having a sound mind. It speaks about being self-controlled. 
You know, and how important that is to have self-control. You don't just shoot from the hips. You don't just say, you know, whatever. You know, the Bible says a fool vents all his feelings. There's an element of self-control. And you might get mad at someone and you might want to just lash out at them. You know, maybe it's on the freeway. <laughs> You're like, I can't believe they cut me off. I'm going to go get them. You know, you get so mad. It's, how dumb is that? You know, you see people doing that. But you know, you have that self-control. That soberly, you'll see it frequently throughout the Titus is an important aspect of the Christian life. When you think of the word sober, uh, what do you normally think of? You're not getting high, you're not getting drunk, right? How many of you here before you were Christians used to get drunk? How many of you still, still get drunk? Come on, altar call right now. <laughs> Rededicate my life, okay? You know, uh, we live soberly because we know what alcohol does and I think it's a good illustration of what can happen to a person who are not, not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're not really sober in their spiritual life. You know, when we're, in drunk, when we're drunk, it impairs our balance, our speech, our vision, our reaction time, our hearing, our judgment, our self-control. All those things are reduced. Caution is reduced. Reason and memory are impaired. Um, when you're drunk, you actually think you're functioning better than you really are, but you're not. You know, it's kind of like when I was in a band. I mentioned to you earlier, I was in a heavy metal band, and before we used to practice, I used to get high. We used to smoke pot, right? And the reason I did that is because it sounded so much better when I played when I was high, right? But you want to know something? It wasn't better, man. And a lot of times when you're not living soberly, you're intoxicated, you actually think you're doing better than you really are. You're deceived. Why? Because you're not walking in that sense of the Spirit if you continue to get drunk, and of course we know there are degrees of drunkenness, a person might feel dazed and confused, disoriented, sometimes unable to stand, unable to walk. If you injure yourself, you can't even feel the pain because you're so drunk. You can even slip into a coma. Sometimes people die. And that's all he's saying is that, you know, as Christians, you guys gotta, you got to live sober. That's why when Jesus was on the cross and they offered him... Even prior to, you know, here, let me give you some painkiller. Let me give you a little bit of, a, of a drugs, medicine. And Jesus refused to drink it. He refused. Why? Because he wanted to face the cross with all of his senses. And that's what we need to do as well, to think straight and be sober. He says to, to, to live not only soberly, but, but righteously. And that means right in God's sight. That means just as God judges us. He talks about being godly there. And this is someone living like the Lord. Holy, godly, devoted to God. You're a Christian. Why are you treating your wife that way? You know, when I, when I come home, and I think as husbands, I think we can struggle with this. But, you know, the thing that the Lord has just really impressed on my heart is when I go home, I want to be a witness to my family. I want them to be able to say, my dad was like the Lord, even at home. And they're always testing me. You know, they're always like doing things wrong. Pray for my family. Yeah? 
And it's not easy. I'm like, you know, I want to, you know, I want to do all these things and hurt them. No, I'm just joking. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm just messing. But you know, and the Lord is just constantly saying, be a witness. You know, my daughter's 20 years old now. My son's 17. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have them in the house. You want to be a witness. You want them to be able to see you as a man of integrity. We make so many excuses. We think, well, you don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You know my situation. I don't have to know all that stuff. I know who God's called you to be. We're supposed to be like Christ. Jesus loved his bride. His Bible says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he died for her. And you know, and I know wives have their responsibility too to be submissive. And 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, it says, you know, you can do that even if your husband's not a Christian. But I tell you what, the wife will always respond to the love of her husband. Because that's what the church did with Jesus. Jesus died first. And then the church responded. So I want to encourage you, husbands, this be godly, all of us here. You know, that word godly right here, not a lot of people like that. As a matter of fact, Psalm 12, verse 1, it says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. You know, it, you don't see it that often. But man, praying that God will do a work in us here today. I, I love the first time the word appears in the Bible, back in Psalm chapter 4, verse 3. But know the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. See, that's what I want to be. I want to be like the Lord. Soberly, righteously, godly. They say that soberly means you, that's the way you deal with yourself. Righteously is the way you deal with others. And godly has a lot to do with your personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. And when you get those things squared away, it's just so cool what God ends up doing through your life. You see, in our study today, we, we, we see the, the learning. I'm going to learn from the grace of God because I want to live by the grace of God. And then I want to look for the grace of God. Look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, we want to we be New Testament Christians. And so we really need to be learning from the grace. Learning from the grace living by that grace, living to say no and to say yes, say no to things that are not of the Lord, say yes to everything that is of the Lord. And then I think it is so helpful when you are looking. What would, what would be different in your life if you knew for sure that Jesus Christ was coming today? What if today was the day that the Lord returned? You know, would our behavior be modified you know, and the truth is, is that it might be today. You're like, well, it can't be today because I've got a Super Bowl thing going on at my house. And, and I think it was Henry, or I'm not sure, one of the guys said that God's not interested in football. I, I think he is. The, the Seahawks, don't you think? <laughs> I'm just joking, man. 
I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't followed it at all this year. I don't know anything. I did hear that the quarterback from Seattle is a Christian. Did you guys hear that? No? So now we've got to root for him. Anyways, you know, I, I think God... Um, no, anyways, he might come back today. And when you're looking for the blessed hope of his glorious appearing, then it will change your life. And that's how we have to walk. We have to walk in that imminent expectation. The Greek word right here, looking, literally means to expect. It's the fulfillment of the promise. It means to receive to oneself. You guys, Jesus came the first time. He's coming again. And that's what he's saying. I think when you're a healthy Christian, you're learning and you're living, then you're going to be looking. You're going to be longing, expecting, anticipating. And as a result, you're going to be ready for the Lord's return by living a life that would honor him. Do you guys know what the difference is between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh? Have you guys know that? I'll tell you what. I, I mean, I know it. And sometimes I'll go from my garage and I'm in the Spirit, praying, reading, seeking the Lord. I go into my house and then it doesn't take long for me to walk in the flesh. I'm like, oh man. So I got to go back in my garage, you know? No, seriously, I'm like, Lord, I need to walk in your power. I think that really a large part of that is just having it in your heart all the time that Jesus might come back today. And when you're looking, I think it also helps you to live. That's kind of what we see right here. You know, Jesus came the first time as a, as a lamb. He's coming the second time as a lion, right? He came the first time to die on the cross. He came the second time he's coming to conquer. He's coming, right? Amen. And that's what we see right here. This glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, which right here proves the deity of who he is, you know, when you're looking, notice again, Titus goes back to his theme, who gave himself for us, why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, again, zealous for good works. I mean, the whole work of the cross is, number one, to take you to heaven, be with him forever, but number two, as long as you're alive on this planet, May God conform us into the image of Christ and may he make us men of God and women of God to change us. He's redeemed us from every lawless deed. Right? And he's purified for himself, for himself, a special people. You're set apart. You're not supposed to blend with the world. You're not supposed to be, you know, doing the same things that they're doing. You're supposed to be different. Now, we are in the world, but not of the world, and not like the world. And that's all he's trying to say, you guys. You know, and I don't know what the areas are in your life that you're dealing with, but I pray that God would capture your thoughts, your words, your actions, all that you do, all that you are. It belongs to him. This is not plain church. You know, some people... They say, well, I'm a Christian, yeah, and I go to church. But there's no evidence in your life. You know, you go out from here and you're fighting with your spouse. You go out from here and on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays you're getting drunk or you're having sex. Or you're looking at pornography. Or you're using profanities. Christians don't do that. Christians aren't supposed to do that. We're supposed to be different. And we learn what it is and the priorities of life. 
We learn how to manage our, our money. I mean, you name it. It just, it just saturates every area of our life, our family. You spend time with your wife and you take her on, on dates. It doesn't have to be expensive, but every once in a while, let it be expensive. Right? And take her to a nice place, buy her flowers or give her a card. You know, I don't know. You spend quality time with your children. And you talk to them and you teach them about the Lord and you pray with them. And you be an example to them. You turn off the television. You know, I know one of the things in our family, we always had the rule that whenever we're eating, there's no TV on. You know, why? Because when you're eating, you're supposed to be fellowshipping. You're supposed to be talking with them, right? And you get to know them. Some parents don't even know their kids. They don't even know them because they don't spend time with them. But all I know is that when you become a Christian, the Lord, He changes our life. He redeems us from those lawless deeds. He purifies for Himself a special people. That's who you are. You are His. You are His. Be who you are. You are the sheep of the great shepherd. Be who you are. You are the children of the Father. Be who you are. You're Christians. You know, you go home and you flush those drugs down the toilet. You go home and if necessary, you throw away your computer if it's causing you to fall into, you know, sin with pornography, you know. I mean, it's crazy, even on the phones. I know some guys, they struggle with pornography. They got to get rid of their phones because it's causing them to stumble. Jesus said it's better to go into heaven without your right eye. If your right eye causes you to stumble, it's better to go in, take it out, take out that right eye. Better to go into heaven with one eye than have two eyes and go to hell, right? It's better to go into heaven without the internet, right? Than it is to go to hell with it. Whatever it takes, you got to get serious because Jesus is coming. He's coming. And we have to be ready. We have to always be looking, right? And that's why here, Paul, writing to Titus, he tells them about this grace and this grace that we are learning from. This grace that we're learning and we're living and we're looking. And then the last word right there in verse 15, Titus, you're leading. Because he says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. He says right there, let no one despise you. And this is where it takes strong leadership, you know. Um, you might have some guys that are teaching that they don't want to exhort, they don't want to rebuke, they don't want to teach the whole Bible. They don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable at any time. You know, they just want their churches to be real big with a whole bunch of people that never get offended where they hear a message from someone that just tells them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And so Paul tells Titus, when you share, you do it like God's called you to. And he says right there, speak these things, exhort. He says, rebuke. And he says to do it with all authority. And you know, and the only authority we have is the authority of God's word. And that's why it's so important just to teach the Bible because the Bible is what carries the authority. This is what Jesus is calling us to do and we can do that. As a pastor, you know, I really believe that God has given me by His pure grace a responsibility. 
He's given me authority, yes, but with that authority comes a responsibility. And that's the only reason we've been given anything like that. And so he says, when you function and when you share, know, Manny, that one day you will give an account to God and you make sure you don't water it down. You know, you make sure that you don't, you know, try to make everybody happy because a lot of times I think that what we want to do is we want to please everybody. You can't. I can't please everybody. As leaders, if you get caught up in trying to please everybody, you will not please God. you got to please God. You know, by God's grace, He's made some of you. And you know what's so cool? Leaders, and, and, and with that responsibility comes authority. And I don't know why God would choose us, but I know He has. And He's given us a heavy calling. And that's why Paul right here writing to Titus, he says, don't let anyone despise you. In other words, don't let anyone bring you to that place of intimidation or through manipulation where they weaken that aspect of God's calling on your life. Titus, you've been called. Do what I've called you to do. You see, and when we have that, you guys, together, understanding the way it works in God's kingdom, God's going to raise up a church and God's going to raise up a people and God's going to change your family. If you're here today and your marriage is struggling and you know, you're know you not doing anything about it, you know, shame on you. You better pour into that marriage. You better repent. You've got to invest in that marriage. You've got to make it stronger. Husbands, you're the leader. You got to do something. Because I think sometimes we go in and we come out, we go in and come out, it's like no big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It is. Whatever those areas are in our life, we got to get it right. Because God loves you. And God wants to bless your life. And God's grace is strong. And you know, we you know, look at our lives and we're like, man, I don't know about me. I could never change. I. I, you, you know, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, this is just the way I am. This is the way I'm wired. Absolutely not. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been doing, whatever it is. There's still the power of God available to change your life. But you have to learn, if you're a Christian, you have to learn it's by His grace. And that grace, it teaches us and that grace, it touches us. That grace, it transforms our life to be people that we would have never been otherwise. You know, I'm reminded of the story in John chapter 8. You guys remember the story when um, the religious leaders, they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And so they brought her to Jesus and they said, you know, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you say? And so Jesus, thinking, eventually gives them the words, well, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Right? And so then the Lord starts writing on the, on the dirt. We don't know for sure what he was writing, but he's probably writing all their sins, right? <laughs> and so from the eldest to the youngest, they all drop their stones and they walk away until finally it was just the woman left there. Just the woman. Just her and Jesus. 
And so Jesus looks at her and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? Doesn't anyone condemn you? And she said, None, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I. But then what did he say? Go and sin. I'm just joking, he didn't say that, right? (laughs) He said, Go and sin no more. You see, that's the grace of God. Can you imagine? And I don't, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't want to get extra biblical or anything. But I'll bet you almost anything that that woman's life was radically transformed. Here she is, about to die. Jesus steps in and saves her, and gives her a second chance. See, and that's what the Lord has done for us. We were ready to die. We were condemned to death. We're down this slide that was leading directly to hell. And he stepped in and he saved you. And he said, you know what? I don't condemn you now because you're in Christ. But now what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want your life to change. Go. Do your best. Sin no more. See? And that's the beautiful salvation we have. You guys, I pray that that message would really grip our hearts. Lord, we just thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. Lord, I pray today that you would work in my heart. Lord, I want to grow so much. Lord, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray for your beautiful people, Lord, that you would encourage them today in your love. Thank you for, Lord, the power, Lord, of your Holy Spirit that we really can be men and women of God. Lord, I pray you bless your church. And Lord, I pray if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that today by your Spirit you would touch their hearts and they would realize the simple truth that they need Jesus, that they really do need Jesus. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do that work, that people would turn from their sins and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Bless every marriage here, Lord, every single person. I pray, Lord, that you would heal the sick, encourage those who are down. Protect, Lord, those who are being assaulted by the lies of the enemy. And Lord, be glorified in our lives. I pray that as we go out today in the highways and byways, as we go out into the rest of this week and the rest of our life, God, I pray that we will have been touched by your Holy Spirit, Lord, because we can't do this through our own determination or grit desire. It can only be done through you. So touch our hearts, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.